we are live. It's Friday night, guys. Welcome to episode 108 of A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to all. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube, don't forget to jump into the live chat. Say hey. Um, my guest tonight, super psyched about this one. Uh, my guest is an ex uh, BBC X Sunday Times bod. Uh, he's worked in the music industry and broadcast and print journalism. Uh, and now he runs uh, Drowned in Sound, the popular online music magazine and forum, which he started in 2000. Um, and he's also the producer of the hit podcast, The Trawl, which you might have seen. It's uh, hosted by Gemma Forte, who you might have uh, checked out on Sky News and Marina Perkis from the Jeremy Fine show on Channel 5. Um, he and I have come to know one another through uh, political campaigning and strategy circles. And tonight he joins me to discuss all things life, love, the universe, music and politics. Please welcome my guest this evening. First guested show back in the UK for a while now. Uh, Sean Goddamn Adams. Woo! Number 108. You are. <laughs> That's a lot. It's a, it's a milestone. You. Yeah. Do you feel special? You. I feel... 107% special. Good, good. That's exactly what I was shooting for. How are you? How's how's your summer been? It's been a weird time for everyone, right? Has it been summer or apocalypse? It's quite hard to tell. The uh, the the idea that you're meant to enjoy 41 degrees in London is yeah. not the one. Doesn't look as nice as the jealousy-inducing trip that you've been on, but um, well, I'm sure your listeners think was Bogna Regis, right? Otherwise, you won't get Patreon donations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did feel there's, there's, there's some sort of unease there about like, you know, I'm trying to attract Patreons. I'm trying to attract support because I want this to be my, you know, thing that grows. Yeah. And eventually I'd like to just be able to retire and do this all the time. And then at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I'm off on a fairly exotic holiday. But the, like the, <laughs> the way I've sort of justified it to myself, if indeed it can be justified, it's like we uh, truly we didn't have a holiday for fucking years, Sean. So I was like, I've earned this. <laughs> yeah, I've not left the country since uh, October 2019. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, I'm sure I've had time off, but it doesn't ever feel like it just feels like recovering from burnout. So, yeah, yes. The um, yeah, the, the, the weirdness of the creator economy where actually to do it full time requires entire scale which uh which is why those x's are in my list of things that you reeled off because mm. i started a music blog in the year 2000 and it was all ad supported yeah and advertising was really easy to get in the year 2003 to 2008 mm. um i started another website called the quietus because advertising was so good that the people that bought advertising advanced us the money to start other websites um and then slowly but surely youtube like literally we're we're in the hellscape right now yeah. um took the price from about eight pound per thousand page views to about 30p um so and i watched it happen so fast we went from being able to employ five people to not even being able to employ myself part-time um wow. and all the while our traffic getting bigger it was all like counterintuitive um what you got per click Mm. led to people needing to drive clicks and right. by driving clicks attention whores were the the people that were going to run to the top of every tree so kanye and trump are just symptoms of a poor economic landscape and um i spent most of my time so i also ran a record label in amongst all this mm. um and you could sell a lot of cds in the early 2000s right <laughs> um, yeah I sold like 80,000 copies of an album by an artist called Martha Wainwright. 
Um, and I worked with Brett Anderson from Suede and I worked with the Kaiser Chiefs and Bat Flashes and all these musicians. Um, and then streaming just came on and it's like, again, streaming's price all set by advertising. Mm. Um, the cheapest advert on YouTube basically sets the norm of how much you get paid on Spotify and Apple and Amazon and, and all those streaming platforms run by the biggest, richest companies in the world. Mm. Um, so if that doesn't radicalize you against the super rich, I don't know what will. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like I've I've had a couple of musicians and music managers and stuff on on the show before, and it's it's kind of the same story. Like, I'm a music fan. I never worked in the music industry, although that was my aspiration, like way way back. Um, but it's the same story. I get same feedback from them where they're like, "It used to be great," and in in one guy's words, a, a chap called Alex Kievel, he's the lead singer of the Microdance. He was saying like, "If we had come out in like '99." Were like ninety seven, yeah. Like with the with the the clout that we had, like in London, releasing records, the kind of industry backup that we had. He was like, I could have quit my day job, and this just would have been my job, and we probably would have mm. gone on to sell, you know, two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand records. He's just like, that's just out the window. Everyone needs a full time job now, and then that hinders your ability to tour, and it's just this sort of vicious cycle now, right? Yeah, and it's also things like people like, oh, you make your money from live, and it's like. If you're playing a festival, unless you're one of the top 20 acts on the bill, mm. you're just about covering your cost of performing. I think there's a lot of stuff in the industry which like, people make their money on merch. Actually, the margins on merch are quite small. People make their money on live, and it's like mm. until you've done about 100 shows, you've not made any money. And then for the next 100 shows, you're paying off what you spent on the first 100 shows and gear and rehearsals and all those things, it all adds up. So the economics of the industry are pretty bad but i'm still like managing three musicians <laughs> about right. to looking at restarting my record label at the moment like there's lots of um space to do stuff that's new and different so i'm sort of um yeah i'm i'm, I'm in this headspace at the moment where the potential of metaverses vr mm. like they're all suddenly moving music into the video game space sure um and that licensing yeah yeah and like TikTok, for instance, is a giant sync machine. Like yeah. everyone has got their music sitting underneath soundtracking. Uh, date uh, you and Davy wandering around your gardens. Yeah, um, that's all money that's that's coming back into the music industry. So there is there is stuff happening. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's one of these things where you have to exercise a bit of uh, ingenuity, a bit of entrepreneurialism to it and think, okay, well, look, if the traditional methods of generating an income as a musician are out the window and we all accept that they are, uh, how do you make money in the new world? Um, and it does seem as though there's an opening there in terms of video game licensing or, you know, movie soundtracks and that sort of stuff. I wonder to what extent the transferable skills of, like a, a creative flowery musician are um conducive with a sort of you know go-getter entrepreneur like how often do you find artsy kind of singer-songwriter types who are actually like yeah do you know what we're gonna think outside the box on this one guys well i think if you think about it the way we've turned everything into content mm. all musicians are also content creators it's just that the content they create is music but the platforms they exist on are social platforms that are video platforms, blog platforms, audio platforms. Like musicians have to be competing with you. Like, and they're mm. competing with Netflix for attention and they're competing with 
breaking news like all of it is all in the same soup mm. um so this is the same with your local politician or the like obviously the biggest news stories of the day are going to cut through but if you're trying to get a story saying that you're up for election in your local area probably for a lot of people until they stick it on the top of youtube or top of facebook saying there's an election today a lot of people don't even know there is one mm. the um in fact one of the anecdotes on the troll i thought was quite funny is that Gemma told us that um she spoke to some colleagues that she worked with somewhere there wasn't anything to do with politics and they didn't know who liz truss was and it's yeah. like when you think about the fact of how much landscape media landscapes taken up by this stupid debate between two people trying to convince what is it 0.3 percent of the of the electorate yeah. to get behind them it's just absolutely ludicrous that it's dominating and yet people don't even know who she is didn't even know her name she's been foreign secretary for how long we've been at a war and it's like they still don't know who she is yeah so all of that stuff is competing for attention well this is the thing it's like in in the circles that you and i move in uh and and i guess certainly from my uh perspective the amount of time that i spend on twitter or reading news or whatever i, I, I got sort of... circles moving and then you stopped oh shit Can i you... got circles you move in and then you stopped something's going weird with my internet i think oh dear I've got you okay. I, I, okay. I hope that my machine's sort of recording you all right, so I'll, <laughs> I'll carry on. Uh, but yeah, I, I sort of feel like with the amount of time that I spend on Twitter or reading news or engaging with you or Tan or, or whoever else, it kind of conditions my brain into thinking that these are giant news stories and that everyone is tearing their hair out and hysterical and frenzied about them and they are giant news stories like the cost of living crisis is a, a, like a genuine catastrophic storm that's just over the horizon that has the potential to decimate the way a lot of the uk live like it's going to mm. wipe out savings it's going to wipe out pensions it's potentially going to send you into what negative equity hike your interest like it's it's truly a terrifying thing but yeah i have to remind myself as you sort of alluded to a second ago there are huge chunks of the population who i am positive are completely unaware they're just like ah it, what, like cost of what like oh yeah i think i heard something about that on the radio when somebody flicked from one station to the i vaguely heard frozen it frozen again have i frozen You're back You're oh my back okay um but yeah, so is that your sort of, is that your read on things as well? Is that there's a lot of people who just don't know how bad things are politically at the moment? I think we're like seismologists and there's mm. been an earthquake out at sea and there's a tsunami coming and we know there's a tsunami coming and most people have got their, Boris says it's all going to be all right, is optimism. Like that, that's where they can exist because you don't need to know that there was an earthquake out at sea that's going to cause a tsunami. Mm. Um my uh, a level my gcse geography coming in handy there um and um but i think that when you consider that for instance the thing like the lebedev party like i don't even get the the impression that most political journalists were even that familiar with that story mm. like i think i read about it when the war in ukraine began because john sweeney wrote about it on a piece for byline times and he wrote about 10 10 reasons we should be concerned about the conservative connections to russia mm. um and he laid out the details because i'd sort of vaguely heard of it and i thought oh that just sounds a bit like maybe he was at a party with and the guy also happened to be there not it was a party at his house 
And then you made his son a lord and his son runs the independent. Mm. Um, the Lebedev story, again, just doesn't feel like, I guess if you don't listen to like James O'Brien or you don't like tune into Twitter as much as we do, that story has passed people by. Mm. When he brought it up in Parliament, it didn't even become a front page news story. It's far, far worse that a man had a beer with his staff and it didn't get any news headlines when the story broke the first time. Yeah, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because so the other thing about the Lebedev story was so it wasn't just that he went to the guy's house and had a party with him and that the guy's dad was a KGB agent. It was that he was the foreign secretary at the time and carrying documents and that he had gone straight from a NATO meeting to that with these about documents. The, about the Salisbury poisoning. Yeah. And and uh, he had completely sh- like shaken off his security detail or whatever it's called. So he wasn't being monitored. There's no record of what they what was discussed at this place. When he was asked if they discussed official government business, he said something vague and weird and lawyery like it. I. I don't believe that anything was discussed or like my recollection is that mm. blah, blah, blah. It wasn't like a categorical, I would never discuss. And I'm positive that I didn't talk about UK government business. It was kind of vague. Yeah. You'd think if you met a former KGB agent, which apparently Putin says, there's no such thing. You're always a KGB agent. Yeah. Um, I was just making sure we put an allegedly in there somewhere after your last sentence. Um, this is Thank what happened. This is what happens when you work at the BBC in media training. Um, yeah. And uh, the uh, there's definitely something in amongst all of that that you would not forget. I mean, how often do you go to a massive mansion party in Italy? I don't assume that Boris does that like 10 times a week. It's not like, do you remember if you took the, the bins out this morning? Well, it's, it, it's also, wasn't he photographed afterwards looking all disheveled yeah. and hung over at, uh, at the airport? And there were other people that were at that party who left early who mm. said, yeah, like women have, they're vacated, they're exited at like 10 or 11. And then it's just the boys and like these young girls. And so, like, so God knows what fucking went on. It's, it's, I mean, just... Rory, Rory Stewart spoke about it a bit, didn't he? Oh, did he? Um, yeah. And he said he was invited and didn't attend mm. because he found out what it was. <laughs> it's like, right. and he was working in the foreign office with him at the time. Um, yeah. Which is like, you you start to think you start to relay these stories as if they're funny anecdotes yeah and it's like this is the person that's been running the country for the last few years this yeah. is this is the country that people on the outside look in at mm. and we're meant to be doing international trade deals after we put sanctions on ourselves yeah. like and yet we're, we're this is our advert to the world it's it is interesting though like what you were touching on a second ago that people don't seem to care an awful lot about this and yet they do care about the beer and parties shit. And I remember reading something a while back where they said this this journalist or opinionista was saying, like, if there's one thing that Brits really get riled up about, it's when they feel like they've been like somebody's pushed in in front of a queue or they, you mm. know, the up, the middle upper classes are getting a better deal than the working. Like if they feel that something is unfair and they're being taken the piss out of, then that will get them riled. But in terms of politicians doing corrupt stuff, it doesn't seem to really move the dial much, does it? No, and I think there's also hypocrisy probably ranks up there pretty high as well. And like, I don't think Keir Starmer really went after him for having parties. Mm. He went after him because the law was broken by 125 people. 
well, it's actually it's not even 125 people. Like it could have been 50 people received three fines. We don't know any of the details. Mm. The complete lack of transparency. The it's a witch hunt. Let's stop. Let's stop this. It's like, well, if you've got nothing to hide, mm. what's the what's the fit? What's the fear? Um, yeah, we're like living in opposite world at the moment, aren't we? Like where yeah. we're trying to investigate what has happened and whether he's lied to Parliament about it, and thus he should be just kind of effectively struck off from yeah. the the rest of his political career. I mean, didn't he say he was looking forward to clearing the air and getting like moving on from it? But when with like that wasn't that long ago. Yeah, but he like, also even just said... even just trying to keep up with all this stuff is hard. Yeah, and it's like, and that's why most people zone out. It's yeah. the flood the zone with shit, um, Steve Bannon thing, isn't it? Well, he also said, I think pre Bannon, he said like what he likes to do is create chaos like he'll create a scandal over here and then say something stupid over there and then by the time somebody's kind of caught up with this scandal he's already moved on to the next one and it's it's a weird sort of way of politically operating isn't it because it's like it's almost playing the parts of of the clown but like mm. not in a sort of oh look at me i'm very silly and i, I just said the wrong thing but in a a sort of coordinated almost like machiavellian way well, they, people talk about the reason he wears that oversized suit because it's like a clown suit. Mm. Like, he never wears a well-fitting suit. Um, and it's actually apparently not that expensive. I don't know anything about suits, but apparently not that expensive a suit. Oh, really? Um, That's and surprising. The, um, I mean, maybe his donors haven't been buying him suits. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think there's something in the um, the awfulness of it that it's so difficult to even want to pay attention anymore. Yeah. And I think that's what like the zoning out of it is probably what they're they're bargaining on. Um and it's like, but you can zone in on, oh, this guy that's a lawyer broke the law. Well, did he break the law? There was actually when I dug into it and I I tried to dig into this a bit, um, Labour didn't want that election to take place because we were in lockdown mm. and it meant you couldn't really do the majority of things. And there were some exceptions, but they all kicked in about a week after the beer gate nonsense. Um so it was almost like they were setting it up as a like, I don't know, like a honey trap, but not a honey trap. What's the right word um, to, to basically make it so that they would have to meet somewhere. Right. Like there's nowhere open. What are you can do? Well, you're going to have to eat in the kitchen of your offices. Like yeah. there, there was literally anyway, I feel like even talking about it gives it oxygen. But what it does do is it shows that the was it 12 days on the cover of the Daily Mail? Yeah. Like, and they haven't reported on the Lebedev stuff, from what I understand. Like, or they definitely not put it on the front page. Um, it's quite, I mean, I don't think newspapers always used to be this bad, this biased and sort of hysterical. It feels like, I mean, look, I wasn't alive in like the 1950s, but my, my sense is that, you know, the, the dad would come home from work in his like Mac and he'd put his hat up on the thing. And then the mum would be in the kitchen and go like, you know, I hope, hope you had a nice day, dear. And then, you know, kids you all sit around the thing and then the news comes on at like 6 p.m. or something. And it's just like, you know, a wooden guy sat there going like, and the uh, prime minister today, blah, 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 blah. you know, just factual what mm. happened shit with a couple of quotes. And that was it. But it, I don't think there was any like bias and frenzy to it. And I, and I think similarly with like print journalism, if you look back at old editions of the Telegraph, it's like a different fucking paper. It's like, yeah. 
and and I wonder, like, at what point? I mean, look, you're you're more of a sort of, um, uh, you know, a seasoned media head than than I am. I'm just a sort of news junkie that eats up Twitter every day. But mm. it, in your mind and in your experience, like, when did that change happen? I think going back to what I said earlier, like clicks. Like, mm. if you think about it, the Telegraph and the Mail right now can lead the news agenda by getting something trending. Mm. and if some lord lord cruddus or one of those lords says something it's got heft enough to it to put it on the front page of a newspaper mm. then you go through the stages of paper reviews nick ferrari sets the agenda in the morning for people that are not listening to the today program mm. the today program before they have to talk about it because it's trending on twitter um and within six hours to ten hours the story's dead not talked about again but for that window of time, that's the news agenda. Mm. Um, and if it's a big enough story and it picks up, then it ends up on question time. And then it, if the story's like still burning after question time, it ends up in the Sunday papers. And if a journalist can find something to add to the story, then the story has a second life to it the week after. And it's like all these things, you start to see the cycle of it. And it's a psychodrama. It's you've been upset by this thing and it, oh it can't be that bad and then something else happens and it's worse mm. it's like last night i think it was there was another story about another minister that's been employed with alleged um allegations about sexual impropriety mm. and you're like that barely barely touched the sides now yeah like and i and i think like in music like kanye's been one of those examples that i will that i'm fearful of what it means because he had quite what seemed like quite a public mental health breakdown. Mm. He was almost encouraged to keep going because it was making so many headlines, like all the stuff with him and Trump. Like, I don't know whether any of that was real or staged or like, I kept waiting for it to turn into some like extinction and rebellion, like insurgency thing. But it just seemed like, no, that's where the attention was. So I went there yeah. and it's that, that dopamine hit, that you get when you get a massive load of retweets people need that at different scales and they will keep feeding into that feeding frenzy and it's not about their only desire is to get more dopamine and we've built systems which have gamified attention and then we sit back and wonder why oh these people that are really good at gamifying attention they don't care why they're getting the attention mm. they just know how to get it um and like you can talk about gender neutral toilets i mean i could post a tweet right now and get four thousand hateful responses um just by knowing which levers to pull mm. um but often i can do that without thinking by replying to you on twitter like i did this morning <laughs> and then be accused of all sorts of people making assumptions about my politics people making assumptions about because they fill in all the gaps yeah. they feel personally aggrieved um, and you've you've emotionally struck someone, not intellectually. And I think people then will intellectualize what you've said mm. because their emotions are hurt. And it's really difficult when everything at different scales in all parts of culture, like the you start to see fashion shows start to go like Lady Gaga's meat dress mm. was, was a kind of like um, was weird. That's it was just... <laughs> weird, but it was um, and meaty. The it was kind of like a guy de thing. It was like a piece of art in order to to kind of 
get attention. And then you start to see that um, cars are now having like bizarre designs so they can get loads of headlines. Like the Greg's vegan sausage roll was not a big deal, but Piers Morgan knew that it would wind people up because it's a pork product yeah. that that has been turned into something that's not pork. Like, and it's such a pathetic lever to pull because it's pulling on literal gammon emotions mm. by saying that gammon is no longer the on the menu, even though it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, like great replacement theory is the exact same thing. It's like all these things being taken away from you and, di- and your life is being diluted. It's like, it's not yeah. just, you're getting equity and equality with other people. Um, or do you remember the like the halal meat thing it was about yeah. five years seven years ago some somewhere around that time where a couple of the tabloids were just like like why am i being forced to eat halal meat it's like nobody's fucking forcing you and you're not like you can eat any like it's fine like it's not <laughs> i think a lot of yeah. people thought oh well it's been blessed in a mosque or it's been like <laughs> fucking ridiculous it's like it's the same product just sit down and eat your fucking like <laughs> but yeah i mean you, you're right chlorinated like, chicken though it's great yeah sure sure um but yeah we, we live in a country and and in a sort of media uh landscape where you're right it's sort of you know a mix of outrage and dopamine and uh and uh i suppose a desperation like i mean you said earlier about advertising revenue i suppose there's a, a big chunk of that to uh to print journalism so back in the day you know, in older editions of the Telegraph, as I was wheeling out that example earlier, um, uh, they would have this sort of guaranteed ad revenue coming in on the conveyor belt. People fighting over each other to to get ad space in one of the like what three or four national newspapers at the time. And now you've got plenty of different newspapers. You've got magazines. You've got radio competing for that same money. And so to get successful and to keep people's attention in versus the internet and versus like 24 hour news uh they have to be more and more outrageous or engage in i suppose like the other other big angle to this is that when the news used to be just news like just what happened um like that was in a time when cnn didn't exist or msnbc and now the like the news part of it has kind of broken away and actually, because everyone gets the news instantly on Twitter or whatever, and what you're left with in the broadsheets is actually this deluge of opinion of just like, we think this is outrageous and here's why you should too. Like that's, you know, people like Alison Pearson, people like, um, God, what's his name? Not the, not the internationally renowned one, his brother that works for the mail. Peter Hitchens. Peter Hitchens. Um the one that's still alive. Yes. Yeah. The alive Hitchens. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think there's something in that too. I think they've kind of pivoted way more to opinion stuff very aggressively. Remind me in a second to talk about key performance indicators because I think that's really key. But actually the music industry in terms of similar timelines. So Blur versus Oasis took kind of indie and alternative music into the tabloids. Mm. By then having dedicated music sections, the music industry changed somewhat. Like the types of artists which were around in the mid to late 90s mm. were very different. And obviously CD sales have boomed, like, but they constantly needed a story. So there's a few documentaries about the kind of Girls Aloud and Billy Piper and all those people because they had to be falling out of a club 
in order right. to get in the papers. Like, because that music sec, but they would have been doing that normally, but the papers needed stories. Mm. So a lot of musicians and PR people and paparazzi knew that there was content to be filled, like pages to be filled, dedicated to music all the time. And people, some people lapped it up and played into it. Other people were just followed because they knew they could become a story. Mm. Um, And you started to see the kind of, like it shifted a bit now with influencers because it's all about people turning up to an opening of Envelope. And it's like, this person turned up to an opening of an envelope. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And it's like, that's that's enough to... Um, I mean, mostly people want that on the Instagram account of the brand um, and the Instagram account of the influencer. Um, so in a way, it's decentralized a little bit, but it's still the same logic um, behind it all. But in music, it meant that a different type of musician with a different set of skills and a different kind of cultural um, epicenter opened up and and there's a definite parallel there isn't there in terms of like chasing clicks for your blog chasing yeah. clicks for your uh three minute clip of piers morgan uncensored or whatever and blur and oasis acting up to get yeah. media coverage right yeah and you start to see all of like creator economy like also like you can use this stuff for good like i've posted stuff on this like used to run the six music social media accounts and I've posted clips from the MASH report, which have done like 17 million reach on Facebook. Wow. Like clip around the time of Black Lives Matter, I shared a clip of Clara Amfo narrating a brief history of black, black British history. Mm. Um, and there was nothing political about it. It was like factual, <laughs> like things that you did not know about your own country. Um, and that had something like 70,000 shares on Facebook. It's like the some of the things where um like for instance being cynical i did things like the prince batman album is not prince's finest record it's also not one of the greatest soundtracks of all time (laughs) however when it turned 30 or 25 or something i posted um a happy anniversary to like the greatest soundtrack of all time it's not even prince's best soundtrack no and that did that did a million reach yeah and it but it had a jokey emoji with it and it was a bit like a um kind of meme it built as a meme within itself um yeah. and it was kind of like a wrong 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 answers only post yeah um but that's playing to the attention economy but that was for someone that was a fun five minute distraction in their day where they got to join in pretend that they either agreed or really angrily disagreed that that was um this was in the middle of lockdown i think if i remember right and i mean i also did like um there was one thing where right in the middle of all the bleakness of lockdown, um, I posted something like uh, one of our listeners had just sent a picture of their dog. And it was just like, is your dog enjoying six music more than this dog? And we got like 900 dog photos. <laughs> and, and Lauren's sitting in the studio and she went from Lauren Laverne just went from doing this like kind of normal radio show to, oh my God, I've just seen this cute dog. <laughs> She's like the her screen on her and computer just kept filling up with dogs and it just became this really sweet moment of funneling in like and using the attention economy in a nice way so as much as i'm cynical and hateful of it all like there are ways in which it can become kind of a beacon and a bastion for people it's interesting Uh, though because so the attention economy is not really a term i've heard an awful lot um but it's 
hearing you speak about it kind of rings a few bells so like when when i see a you know what what the papers say or like tomorrow's papers today section mm. uh, and it says something along the lines of like a daily express headline will say uh boris to go on tour to celebrate his achievements right they must know in the editorial room that mm. printing a big headline like that about like boris and his achievements they mm. must know that that's going to get people like me and you and whoever else to go like, are you fucking joking? Like, and screenshot it and share it yeah. around. Like, so I guess it's sort of, you know, we sit here in disbelief. We sit here and go like, how can they be this dumb? But actually they're not, it's, there's a kind of smartness to it, isn't there? And we're signal boosting their posts. Yeah. We're, we're probably giving credence to their audience that what they're saying must be true if we're upset by it. But then on the other side, you've got the like, for instance, there was have you seen the the great hack doc on Netflix? There's some um, there's some stuff in there about advertising right. and actually how negative adverts generate what I call enragement, which is engagement, but it's just making people angry on purpose. So right. they would share loads about Hillary Clinton on the, the kind of Trump campaign. But their adverts would get cheaper because the the key performance indicator the, what they at the time Facebook were calling meaningful social interactions, meaningful just meant someone had typed more than like an emoji. Um, that meant their adverts got cheaper. So peddling hate meant that they could market their campaign, yeah, grow their reach, and then retarget because retargeting is this other thing where um, because it knows that you like something it gives you more of it. It's yeah, or even people like that like this also liked yeah like loosely related uh subjects right which was yeah. a big thing about like flat flat earth and anti-vax stuff is like if you like this politician or you had watched yeah. that documentary let's route you to this content where a hundred thousand other people also wasted an hour yeah and it's that's all the filter bubble stuff which mm. there's been lots written about and but it is like you do become quite in a silo but it's also like for instance just going like i'm not going to dwell on it but it's like i messaged you something on twitter today I did not send it to 10,000 Corbyn fans mm. and I did not send it to Trump fans. Mm. It got linked to on a forum and then as, as like an, like I'm not saying it was purposely designed for a dog pile. Um, dog piling is when you literally, it's rather than saying a pylon, you put something right in front of the people, you know, that's not going to agree with it. Um, and mm. anyway, so like that, that ability to um, to speak to one to one, mm. like, and that's obviously how like um, sting operations worked when they would get someone to do. If you will bring the World Cup here, if you give us four million quid type of mics under the table, yeah, um, and it's knowing the audience that you're speaking to, like you have no idea hearing that out of context whether that was like Dom Jolly doing a, having a laugh with someone or if it was someone generally trying to, to do that kind of deal. And it's like all these different things are all, and we've not even touched on deep fakes. Mm. Like that technology now exists at scale to like, I'm not even here right now. This is just me typing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the um, like in there's a, there's a thing called Descript where it can dub in your own voice if you've missed a word. Really? Uh, yeah it's really clever and it's for podcasters as well so uh um well it's, it, 
it is <laughs> it is for now <laughs> i mean it's um, like I, I wrote a blog a couple of years ago because this idea just sort of like landed in my head i was like hang on a second like you know we're all getting at this time people getting quite excited about deep fakes and uh, I think the worst that we had seen or heard of was like a few dodgy like porn vids had surfaced uh, of celebrities' faces, sort of you know reskinned onto the porn actors. There was there was the drunk Nancy Pelosi one as well, wasn't there? Oh, was there? I haven't seen that. They they changed her voice to make it sound like she was really drunk in in office. Oh, really? Um, and it was just doctored. But again, I think they used that as an ad. That's like a hate ad. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you're in the middle. Of, I broke your flow. <laughs> yeah. No, I was just going to say so. Uh, so I had this idea in my head. I was like, so hang on a second. Like if, if deep fake technology continues to progress at the same rate that it had done up until that point, I was like in the next like two to five years, probably not even that at, at this point, this is two years ago. I was like, we are probably going to see our first political scandal rooted in a deep fake video where like, I think I was sort of projecting forward. I was like, Biden's in the White House by this point and somebody will release a deep fake of him doing something awful, like something something upsetting to America, like burning a, a, an American flag yeah. at an event or uh, I suppose something, I don't want to say on brand for him, but something believable for him maybe. Like a lot of people say that he's, like in those photos, he's getting a bit too close to the little girl or something. Like what if they exaggerated that in mm. a different video? I was like, it's not outside of the realms of possibility that somebody will release that video and it will take the White House too long to verify that it's fake. And I was joking in the blog going like, you know, Biden's not even all there. <laughs> so he's not going to remember if he was at a party <laughs> burning flags or not. Uh, but now we're, yeah, we're, we're kind of knocking on that door, aren't we? I mean, there's a musician called Holly Herndon who makes this like amazing electronica music and she has created an open source essentially version of her voice. So, so they just released 70 tracks, mm. all featuring her, none of which she had anything else to do with other than opening up the software for people to use it. Right. Um, and her voice is owned by a, essentially a foundation. Um, so the foundation gets a cut for every track sold. She gets a cut and the artist gets a cut um and she's about to do a ted talk all about she's about to bring out another version of it right um with her like real singing voice not her like digital avatar voice that she's got and it's like this technology is there yeah um and i mean all those like anyway we're a bit off topic i think um but it is it is all within the media space and in a time where um you can watch fox news and literally hear a lie said to your face at a time when Johnson can lie and repeat a lie and bring up things like the Jimmy Savile thing, mm. like such an egregious use of office and a position of power. And so, yeah, there's, neat... a, there's an argument to be made there. Like, why would you even need to deep fake stuff when they can just lie at will anyway and nobody fucking yeah. checks it, right? The uh, Like, you know, when they do the big brother best bits when they leave the house, like when you're talking about the express thing earlier, mm. it's like all I'm hearing at the moment is supercuts, essentially of all the worst things that Boris Johnson did. And you'd think in accumulation they would sound awful, but he is, they're not, they're reaching us. They're not reaching the people in the party that want him still to be the leader. And mm. it's like, and all of this stuff feels manipulative and like it's gaslighting in a way. And the, um, but they dig in deeper and it's like that someone repeated that something I heard again earlier, someone saying like, we like him because he lies. Cause really? we, 
Yeah, and it was like that. That's part of the thing they like is that you can lie and get away with it. Yeah, bizarre, isn't it? But then would they would they have ever had that attitude about any other politician like historically? Like if John Major had started lying in the nineties, would people have gone like, yeah, oh, I love love that? Like to to some extent, it's his personality, right? He's always been a bit of a liar, Ooh. and there's bluster, and there's you know. Uh, it's such the most weird thing about him is he values loyalty and he encourages loyalty in everyone around him. Mm. Yet, has does he show that loyalty to his wives? No. Does he show that loyalty to anyone like Rory Stewart not voting with a whip? Yeah. Like all of this stuff, like he does not show loyalty. And it's it's fascinating that it seems to be the thing he values the most and does least. And all of it is one rule for me and one and one other rule for everyone else. Uh, like for instance that woman i just said that example of i like it because he lies mm. there's nothing to stop me going on a, doing a vox pop saying i'm a tory supporter and like saying oh i really love the fact he cheats on all his wives there's nothing to stop me doing it like who's going to verify my vox pop and like and to bring it back to music um i've always had a problem with really positive and really negative reviews of records mm. um music criticism is essentially what i did i was more of a critic than a journalist um Mostly because I'm a good moaner, I think. Um, and um, snap the the uh, verified, yeah. <laughs> verified moaner. Um, and uh, but there's, I have no idea what someone's favorite album of all time is when they're giving an album five out of five. It's there's no context. Mm. Like their favorite album of all time might be the Mr. Blobby Greatest Hits. Um, and yeah, on every poster, on every bus, on every like tweet, they're gonna go. Five out of five says Vogue or The Guardian or like, and there's no verification for it. Like, who who said it? Yeah, doesn't matter. The publication did. Did the publication employ someone that knew what they were talking about? Well, likely. Did they employ someone with a very like attuned taste to things? Probably not. Yeah. And like in journalism, before you could hear records, I think that happened a lot more. But now that it's become so this is the big thing that's shifted and the, the, the something that's quite uncomfortable about music journalism right now is that music is everywhere. Mm. So if you're negative about any music or any musician, then you're seen as just being just awful because their fan base can find you. Their fan base think they're amazing. Um, and there is no space even to be constructively critical. I mean, like my first experience with this I gave we gave an album eight out of ten, which is a good review. And the A yeah. and R man, who I sort of knew over drinks and things, not someone I would ever call a friend, called me up and ranted. And I was like, I hadn't read the review at the time, and I assumed it was like a two out of ten or something. And um, he's like, I can't believe you didn't give it top marks. Like, I can't believe you slagged it off. And it's like I went and read the review while he was on the phone. I'm like, Are we on the same planet? Like, it's got <laughs> eight out of ten. It's come from someone who's a super fan of the band. And they're yeah. just not that into the new album compared to the albums they've spent half their life with. Yeah. Like they're never going to love a new album as much as their favorite album by the band. Um, unless it's, unless they've had like three bad albums before and it's a return to form, yeah. then it might get a slightly high. And it's like, all this stuff is nonsense. Um, but eight out of 10 is a pretty good, like if I read, if I read a review and it had eight out, eight out of 10 and it was mostly positive, which for eight yeah. out of 10, you would assume it would be, then it would be enough for me to go and buy the albums and yeah. put me off. Right. But he knew a 10 out of 10 would get more traffic and would mm. sell more records. Not that we were selling that many records, but as somewhere that championed the band, 
our review might lead to a better review in the sun and a better review on MTV and like more airplay on six music. Like, and it was all of those things are all, it's all interconnected. And I think the, um, going back to, we said earlier about, well, the telegraph is essentially like not propaganda is probably not the right word, but it's probably not the wrong word. Um, for a comms department that wants to put a message out or a funding body that wants to have a, a dial like for instance gb news like you can't look at gb news and think it's anything other than a machine to, to put a message out that people want out there mm. like all the anti-net zero stuff and then you discover that one of the guys behind the company used to have shares of half of a massive oil refinery in Russia <laughs> and the other money's coming from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. It's like, well, of course they're going to be putting Farage espousing net zero. Yeah. Like, is espousing the right word? I feel like I'd use the word slightly more smart than I know. Uh, I used it this morning in our tweet exchange, so maybe it's my fault I've planted it, but I think you used it fine. Uh, <laughs> I... Uh... Yeah, I, I felt similarly when um, there was a there was a period, uh, I think, at the beginning of the Ukraine war uh, where people like Steve Baker were all up on my timeline uh, raving about all up in my grill, all up in my grill, Sean, about like fracking. Uh, mm. Just to be clear, I'm sure Steve Baker has no fucking idea who I am, but um but I saw a lot of like so Steve Baker and Farage and uh, Darren Grimes, like all all the usual fucking coterie of cunts, right? Just just blasting out about fracking. And then I read this guy's tweet thread, and I never remember his fucking name. I'll have to dig it out and then put it in the in the blurb of the this this episode so people can find it. But he did a sort of um, a deep dive on these guys, and he was like, if you look at people who donate to Steve Baker's office. He was like, you can just trace the money. Like, it's really easy to do. Yeah. And the guy he, the guy sort of went through why fracking is actually not really going to solve anything. Um, we don't and, have enough water to do it either. It uses loads and loads of water. Yeah. He's, I mean, we could put our sewage down there, maybe. He, yeah. Yeah. Kill two birds with one stone. Uh, he, he touched on that, but he also touched on, he said, there's not enough gas down there to really make a dent in terms of the supply that yeah. we need. And he said, it even at its peak, it would only sort of top out at about 10 percent of our energy mix i think it says i think i read something it's going to take about three years to start getting it on in, on board yeah and there's only about five to seven years worth of yeah. gas down there so yeah it is it is not the dinosaur dick that you thought it was yeah and then so then this guy at the end of his thread was just like so you have to ask you know why is steve baker promoting this and why are these other individuals doing it? and he's just like because the people that fund them the people that donate to them they know that it's not going to solve any problems, but what it will do is make like five or six directors of those companies fucking billionaires, like mm. almost overnight because investment money will just flood in. And I was like, fuck, like it's so rotten, isn't it? Like imagine people that probably you and I know, like friends, colleagues, like people we used to know in our hometowns and stuff who eat this shit up they're just like yeah yeah fracking we should be fracking guys that that's sorted out why do we have to input like natural gas ukraine mm. we should just fuck it all off and frack our way to victory that's what they did in america because they're smart like <laughs> and i'm just sat here going oh man and there's there's like no chance of anything like that being uh, isn't it, isn't that isn't that michael moore documentary all about how fracking went wrong and polluted the water supply oh, really? is that fracking related um maybe i read about it 
I feel like I read about it on a plane at like I either watched it or read about it on a plane in like sleep deprived state. So I'm not convinced I know that fact for a fact. Um, but yeah, like you also like Steve Baker and Us versus Them or Us for Them, whatever they were called. They were the people that um, picketed outside schools, gave kids flyers telling them not to get their um, jabs for coronavirus. Mm. Um, and you look and it's like he's been a big supporter of them and brought them in. Like they had a photo op outside Parliament with him or so, someone, someone in his little weird coterie. Mm. Um, You've put the word coterie in my head now as well. Um, Just and, uh, peppering your I, brain with, with the, the but, five or six words that I do know. Uh, but you, you start to just like look at these politicians and it's like, well, who's paying them? Like, mm-hmm. who do they work for? It's like, like Boris Johnson's working forever is paying for his wallpaper. Mm-hmm. At least at least for that next hour after it's been paid for. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not working for us. Because yeah. as he says, his salary's chicken feed. Like, that that is the world that they live in. And it's like, he's telling us to buy kettles. Like, yeah. and it's like, well, who, which, like one of the biggest donors in the Tory party is also something to do with electronics or beds or something. I did look this up once because I was curious who their biggest donor was. Um, like property developers, I thought. Maybe. Oh, was it like, like Barrett and something? Yeah. One of those. Because um, big... I've also looked into this because I was like, who do we really need to know is like mm. funneling money into the Tory party? And it was like, I don't know if it was Barrett or not, but um, uh, but yeah, it's sort of a <laughs> thank you for my thank you for my allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I just I'm I'm protecting yeah. myself, really, Sean. Uh, I can't remember either. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, oh right, okay. Well, you know that sort of explains a lot. Um, uh, in terms of like the housing crisis and NIMBYism and uh and what what brownfield property they will sign off on and what greenfield mm. uh areas they won't. Well, they can cover it in shit and it's all brownfields now yeah yeah uh so okay so ev- everything's depressing everything's fucked uh let's let's try and lighten the tone somewhat um do you have <laughs> i mean that was me being upbeat <laughs> oh right okay uh so do you have much sort of hope or faith that things could be different that we could sort of turn a corner in terms of the media landscape the journal political sphere I think that there's a huge hole in the in the media landscape. Mm. Um, there's like the Young Turks in America showing a kind of sign of what could be. Um, I think when you look through the podcast chart, it's not the same as looking through what's like that Tortoise podcast about the Lebedevs, for instance, was massive for weeks and weeks on Apple. Mm. Like there is interest out there and there's an intrigue um, and there is people needing a media that speaks for them Mm. like watching tiktok numbers that people like you and tan and davy and people get like you can tell that there's i mean speak to younger generations it's like they were all angry that rages the machine didn't play reading a Mm. band that have not released a decent record in 20 years it's like Mm. i don't think they've even really released a record in 15 um the uh and yet they are one of the most woke bands in the world if you think about it, like that was my fast track into anti-capitalism at a very young age. Um, and then very quickly became very capitalist. I mean, as much as you can be. <laughs> yeah. Um, without hating yourself completely. It's like the, um, not really, I'm not really the, uh, I think there's, there's enough broken in the system now 
that I think it's very difficult for anyone to not look at it critically and look for hope and answers. Mm-hmm. Um, like you, they are the extremes. You've got extremes in rebellion, but every time there's a petition about something that's not that ridiculous, like a million people will sign up to it. Like mm-hmm. the lionizing of um, is lionizing the right word? No, it's not the right word. The celebration of Marcus Rashford, mm-hmm. like kind of shows that as a country we're not as bad as what's like and often all these studies come out and you're like oh like people loved corbyn's free broadband idea after all like Mm -hmm. the like nationalizing um our energy companies well it makes a lot of sense now but it wouldn't have made sense if there was a big hoo-ha about it 18 months ago and the right-wing media saying something else um the thing i think that gives me hope at the moment is stop funding hate like They've essentially sure. defunded GB News' advertising. Yeah. Um, and they all they do is point out who's advertising and what's just run on a publication. Um, and then often we'll find, look, your corporate campaign saying that you're behind LGBT rights. And yet here's an editorial which is completely against your brand values that mm-hmm. your advert's in the same magazine as that's fun- you are funding this hate preaching because it is, it is essentially hate preaching a lot of it. Yeah, it's uh, a very, very clever campaign, like right from the concept. Like, and they've been going for about it's about three or four years now. So. I think it might be even longer. Yeah, because I remember when they first kicked off and they were aggressively targeting the Daily Mail uh, and unsurprisingly, the right wing press really went after them. They were like, you know, this is an attack on freedom of speech. This is what they're mm. trying to do is um, uh, push newspapers to report in the way that they want things to be reported and that's not a free press and i'm just like i don't think it is like all they're doing is actually quite cleverly holding up a mirror to these brands and as you Mm. say like just saying look if you really if if you're talking the talk try walking the walk as well like if if you're going to advertise in the daily mail then just know that the pages that you're advertising in between are saying this shit like and are, are you comfortable with that um i think they did a great job i think again like going back to um things people dislike is hypocrisy all they're doing is pointing out hypocrisies that's not they're not doing anything particularly radical other than taking the receipts Mm. and sharing them and it's like yeah they're posting into an echo chamber but i've seen brand like for instance we tried to block brands advertising on our site at one point like you can pretty much block gambling um like there are stories of people using their first free bet and getting like half a million pounds in debt within like 48 hours really like online gambling is dangerous because it empowers an amateur to think that they can win Mm. um and it gives you a free way like so free the free advertising for gambling is kind of dissipated somewhat um because of seeing that and also like people can put a cap on when they first join or um all they all these different anyway there's there's stuff there that like cigarettes i was never gonna run like at one point our advertising slots we gave like 20 percent away to charities because we could like mm. why wouldn't you you've got the space like um music hate racism used to get free ads on our site and um it's like i'd rather give that away than charge mm. than be getting money off the back of things that i really disagreed with so i think culturally those kind of things again are all gonna start to pick up and add up but until we start doing that with facebook and instagram and tiktok and 
they're like those platforms are accepting those adverts mm. um and a lot of that gets pointed out it's like um because for instance the google ad network is often the reason why really bad adverts end up online next mm. to editorial that it really jars with but often because the the is it the semantic way in which it knows what's on the page thinks that it's relevant but often becomes the most offensive thing to what it is um the uh i mean like so like keyword sort of thing so if if peter hitchens for example not saying he has written something like this but if he did say in his mail on sunday editorial uh that all gay people were evil and then it would pick up what like the keyword gay and then yeah advertise something along those lines or yeah we'll do yeah all these things are broken but they're Mm. all fixable and you can if you're taking an ad campaign put put domains you don't want to advertise on like all these things are possible but they take time and consideration and um yeah um i thought there was another thing that we were going to chat about i'm not sure if we've we've drifted through lots of topics we haven't even talked about the troll which i kind of like the meta-ness of talking about a podcast on a podcast yeah, well, I think we've got another another five, seven minutes left, so let's throw in a, a little plug there. Uh, so how did you get involved in producing the troll then? Um, I messaged Marina a few years ago thinking that I wasn't sure who was behind the account. Like, I wasn't sure if it was a pseudonym because I couldn't find much when I Googled her. Right. Um, and I was just, like, messaging, your, your Twitter's great. You yeah. managed to sum up a story in such a way um and we got chatting such such a good knack for for like a unique talent for taking like complex political anger uh and just boiling it down to just a simple kind of nuts and bolts thing that people can just easily consume like that is Mm. her talent and i think amazing since i first spoke to her i think she's doubled her audience from about one hundred twenty thousand. Um, which no one does in the current age of Twitter. Like she's growing and growing and growing all the time. Mm. Um, and I, I messaged her saying, how come you've not got a podcast? Like it sort of, I was like, I wanted, I want to hear more of your insight. Cause like mm. it's only on Twitter. It's like, you don't seem to have a column. Like you're only very rarely on Jeremy Vine. And um, so we talked about the idea and she introduced me to, which is how I kind of got to know you. I got added to a WhatsApp group with, sure. um, is, is that a secret have i just broken the like law of the, the group <laughs> the group doesn't exist yeah um and um the the kind of motions towards what's possible in kind of the future politics mm. kind of like continued the conversation and um and then marina and Gemma were kind of swapping seats on um Gemma forte were swapping seats kind of on jeremy vine um and they were like i think i found someone i want to do my podcast with mm. um so we chatted about some ideas. I was like, well, it needs to be really easy for you. Um, and we struck on this idea of just going through Twitter and cause they're doing it anyway and yeah. pulling out brilliant videos like yours yeah. um, and pulling out kind of nuggets of insight to discuss mm. um, and also nuggets of shit to discuss. <laughs> um, and so I think the, um, and it just feels like the world's ripe for the right ideas yeah. And it's like, how do you evolve what's possible in the landscape? Um, and it's like, we'll pick two really smart women that really enjoy scrolling through Twitter 
that are really good at Twitter mm. and show off the best of Twitter. It's like that feels like Venn diagrams overlapping, but you need to know that their Venn diagrams are there in the first place. And yeah, yeah, I'll tell you what's what's great about those two together as well. Is so I feel like sometimes with Twitter accounts, they're they're pretty good at pulling apart a story or putting a little witty one-liner in. And I, I'm going to put myself in this camp, right? Yeah, you're it's, very good at witty one-liners. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Uh, but it's not like fluid. I'm not just, you know, I mean, I'm here. We've been talking for an hour, Sean, and I'm not like just a witty one-liner pun machine, you know? I'm, like, <laughs> oh, I thought it was me thought. bringing you down. <laughs> no, no. Like, I, I have to sit down and consciously think about what I'm doing. Whereas with those two, it's it seems so sort of effortless and they bounce off each other and they have this sort of, yeah, just like a conveyor belt of like pretty solid insight. Can I let um, you in on a secret? Sure, go for it. They've only met in person once. Really? So how and are I, they? Wait, they, I, now you're gonna. I'm gonna ruin the mystery for your podcast. So how how does that work then? So they do it over Skype also, or they record yeah, it part separately? Yeah, we record it. We, no, they record it separately. That would be crazy. Mm. Um, but yeah, they've only met in person once, and I keep thinking like because we're only seven episodes in, and they've got this flow like two people have known each other for years. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it's it's and it just. It, we just recorded, I just edited the new episode this morning and um, I just was listening to it thinking it's so odd that they don't, they're not like drinking buddies or yeah. like they kind of got, and it's the fact that like they know what the other one's probably going to think or say about a topic and mm. like, we've got a little WhatsApp group to prep the show and um, they often will share the same link yeah. like within a few hours of each other of like have you seen this and it's like yeah i posted it a minute ago you missed it it's um, nice though isn't it it's like sort of it's there's something nice about uh you know because mo most people forge friendships in their teens and like early 20s and i think as you get a bit older um you know kids enter the equation long-term relationships people move away and and it's harder to build friendships from nothing i think yeah um or it is for me. Maybe I'm just fundamentally unlikable. No, no, I've had exactly the same. Like, I tend to build friendships around projects, mm. and then I forget. Oh, you're meant to maintain that when the project <laughs> ends, or like, yeah. or or See like you later, bud. Like the um, lots of people that I know have like done exactly that. They've moved. Like there was a phase of just people I was friends with all moved to LA, and okay. I was like, so if I go to LA, I can hang out with loads of my friends. But it's like, why do I need to travel so far? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, for me, it's sort of like back home. Like if I moved back to Maidenhead, which is only like fucking 40 minutes away, mm. uh, I'm relatively sure I could have a pretty full and active social life. Like just put the kids to bed. I could go down the pub, catch up with people, shoot some pool. And um, but it's uh, that's not our that's not our life at the moment. Uh, so but it's also are they friendships or are they just long term connections? Because it's like the different thing is of like what a friendship is. I realize we've gone very off topic, but it's actually on topic because it's actually the, yeah. the isolation in the modern world is one of the reasons why so many people are so toxic mm. because they need belonging and they end up belonging to fascist groups. Like when you actually dig into like the insurrection, like a lot of people just got caught up in a telegram group mm. or in a 4chan channel. And it's like that need for belonging and the way in which, like, the one of the biggest cons at the moment is the way that wellness is outsourcing um, the need for, for, for a functioning mental health service. Mm. So, like, like I've been to a therapist that told me to meditate, 
I'm like, huh? I've got all this going on in my head. And what you're telling me to do is to listen to my thoughts quietly. Like <laughs> that is the last thing that I need. And you've completely misunderstood what's going on. And it's like all of the, the, if you start to dig into what's happening in culture, mm. the music of loneliness, the like sad songs, sad bangers have been really big for years. And it's because there is this like melancholic disconnected, we're more connected than ever, which actually means we have lots of like shallow, like for instance, in theory, we are friends. If most people said on paper, who have you spoken to the most this week mm. or swapped more than a hundred characters, a hundred words with yeah. like that, that in theory would be classed as a friendship in some, in some circles. And, um, but then it wouldn't be because it's not, it's like, I've probably had no disrespect, obviously sure. I'd yeah. love to be friends if you ate. Um, but I've probably exchanged 50 different conversations in the last 48 hours with different people. Mm. Like, and it's partly some of that's work, like working with, you work with a musician and then you speak to the like day to day manager and then you speak to the press officer and you speak to another musician. And then like one of my group chats at the moment is an artist I'm working with and we're putting together a choir to sing on her track. And it's like, I've just introduced her to like eight different people and I've had to have, eight several it's like it all adds up really quickly and it's like but we're con more connected than ever but we're more disconnected because that yeah. ability to be always connected makes all the connections like and also we live in a world of upgrade culture like this is another thing like i realize i keep in culture on the end of things as if it like makes them bigger but like if you upgrade apps on your phone mm. you people feel like they can you can get into the VIP area in a club and that's an upgrade and you can get a better seat on a plane and we've, you can personalize your Starbucks order, which in your mind is upgraded it to the thing that you wanted. Mm -hmm. And all of these things atomize us into, well, actually I think there's something better grass is greener kind of concepts of developing who we are as people, all of which plays on selfishness, conservative kind of like mindsets of, being a one person in a silo um all of these things are the things i worry about because without community without a sense of belonging without a found kind of foundation and understanding that you're part of society mm. um and as much as the tories might talk about was it one nation conservatives um it's like it doesn't mean anything like you've literally just elect you're about to elect someone who has told nicola sturgeon to fuck off that um bloke in wales to fuck off doesn't want the northern island protocol like and is told the french to fuck off it's like yeah. that is not there is no one nation it's like little england i always imagined that it was a sort of uh a way of dismissing uh requests for help so let's say you're somebody in the uh, working to middle class and you really need some help like you need a new hospital wing or you need uh another floor for the school or like you, you just need some fucking government money to make society a bit better and then you'll have some top-hatted monocle tory cunt like no no it's conservatism dear boy you know it's so uh, it's mm. just sort it out yourself you know it's all on your shoulders it's just so low like nothing there's no such thing as society or whatever mm. um i don't think they truly believe that that you should live your life kind of isolated i just think they and, they and think yet they make, should <laughs> and yet they made the money out of things like shares and invest in insurance yes. yeah like 
things like the AA like exists because we all can equally contribute. We should have a national re- car recovery service. Mm. No one talks about that. Like that's a basic fundamental, but we're all paying hundreds and hundreds of pounds for a service we don't use, mm. but occasionally we might need. It's like, isn't that the exact kind of service that should be nationalized? Yeah. It's like, and you look at all these different things, which like I'm, I'm going through quite a mindset at the moment around building a new company collectivism but also then how you reward people for their their involvement in the collective um and there's a lot of like i was on this course recently in extinction rebellion with some of the guest speakers Mm. and they were talking about how they operate they didn't really go into like businesses and spreadsheets and stuff um but you just start to realize like collectivism doesn't have a business model like you have cooperatives which Mm. kind of can exist and you've got all these different business like I really like that put down of Owen Jones this week after he slagged off um, centrists as being waitrose shoppers. And mm. it's like, they're a workers collective. It's like, they are literally like, cause they're part of the John Lewis group, aren't they? Yeah. And it's all yeah. owned by the, the people. And it's like the, um, like the thing that's, that, that's good about the trawlers, it's literally people powered media. It is not, I mean, occasionally there's a clip from Sky News or something, but the vast majority of what goes into it is very democratic. Mm. It is what people have said on Twitter, feeding into a central hub of these people come together and we create a show out of it. And it's like that you start to, to put principle first and purpose first. And if you've got a shared purpose between a group of people, then you need to work out if it can kind of either achieve the thing that people are trying to achieve Mm. or pay people for their time that goes into achieving that thing and you look at almost all of society and all you see is someone working out how to to do deliver the thing for the smallest price um for the biggest gain Mm. and like that's what i don't like about capitalism to go back on my slightly teenage registered machine comment it's like all of these things we're now seeing companies that the fair trade um, elements of how they operate as a business is the storytelling, is the narrative, and is the marketing. Mm. And like, you can't market a business now if there's not a story behind where it came from, who it's for, why it's there. So lots of brands will will invent projects in order to show that they're doing something. And the project is this thing they can tell the story about because underneath it all, they're Shell sponsoring an art gallery yeah. or they're, BP like being involved in like some boat race or something yeah it's like because their story underneath it is not a story that they really want anyone to talk about or to tell it's exactly the same reasons why the the daily mail want you to talk about and get angry about Boris on his victory lap it's like all of this stuff's interconnected and you start I think I start to see the interconnectedness of things and then that's when you start to realize oh I probably do have ADHD (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> i'm like my brain is just like swirling between all these different dots yeah but the patterns are the same like the patterns in our fingers are fractals just like the patterns in when you cut a tree open similar to when you zoom in on a like a like molecule yeah. like all these fractals are all kind of similar like and you start to see the same patterns in loneliness means that you're angry and oh i found another group of people who are as angry as i am um let's form a tribe yeah um, i mean pickaxes yeah. and bows and arrows not necessary but 
but it's that same feeling like just to go to back to what you were saying before it's that same need to be part of a tribe to to tick that sort of safety in numbers we'll all look after each other kind of box um and safety and shotguns you mean say again sorry safety with my lone shotgun stroking yes. it in the middle of a cabin in the woods yeah that, um, that's the Tory man set isn't it it's the what sorry the Tory mindset is one oh, man yes. and his shotgun. In a... For a second, I thought you said that's the talking man set. I was like, <laughs> is this a box set show that I've missed out on? Uh, Sean, we've been chatting for a while, man. I've got to, I've got to go. I've got to get inside for my babies. And uh, Have we got all the comments to reply to? <laughs> uh, I haven't even checked the uh, the live chat. Have I left it on? Thingy? Someone told no. no, I've got, <laughs> I've got no comments this time. So we've got, we've got off lightly. Uh, they didn't find us we didn't get cancelled yet no uh thank you so much for joining me tonight sean adams um if you want to go and check out more of his work uh go to drowninsound.com um also give him a follow on twitter uh what what's your handle on twitter again at sean? sean in sound s-e-a-n cool at sean in sound uh i'll be back next wednesday with the solo show and uh next friday night with a guest who i have yet to book as per usual and uh, yeah thanks very much everyone for tuning in uh, if you have enjoyed uh say two or three of the uh, uh two, sorry two or three episodes of the podcast um please do consider jumping on patreon um there's three tiers on there that you can um that you can choose from there's a three pound a month one which is just enough to buy me a coffee or uh give a doff of the cat. half a pint yeah half a pint um one well you might be able to boil one kettle with it actually Oh, well, fucking booyah. Um, uh, then there's a £5 a month tier, uh, which gets you uh, exclusive invites to the meetup. So the next one is on Thursday, the 27th of October in Brick Lane in London. Uh, so if you jump on that now, you can still come along uh, to that Thursday, the 27th of October. Um, is that a bunga bunga party? No. And Lebedev <laughs> will not be there. Um and oh and then there's a third tier which is a 10 pound a month tier which is fucking ridiculous so just ignore that one and then there's the other two uh, if you're not in a position to support the podcast financially which look let's be real who is right now uh all i ask is maybe give me a little share just uh click the share icon on your podcast player and pop it into a whatsapp chat or something or on twitter and share me around like the cheap tart that i am do you want to know a little secret aid Always. The one thing that if you ask people to share it with one friend that they think will enjoy it, yeah. they are more likely to share it with more people than one friend, but they are far more likely to think of that one friend to share it with. Interesting. Apparently that's psychology of talking about podcasts. There, there you, you go. go. Marketing intel. Share it to one friend. Yeah, please. Um, and a thank you for listening to my monologues. <laughs> yeah. uh, cool. Okay. Thanks again, my guest tonight, Sean, and I will be back next week. Take care, everyone. Ciao for now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.